Building more roads to solve congestion to me is like fighting obesity by just expanding your waist size. It won't happen. Hello everyone. This is Amit Singh Baghel, Director Workhorse, and this is Javed Hasan, Director Workhorse, and we are your hosts for this another episode of the Transportation Podcast. In this episode, we would be talking about NMT pedestrianisation and road safety, and to enlighten us. we have with us uh, mr amit bhat executive director world resources institute thank you very much sir for joining us on our podcast please tell us briefly about your journey from spa to being director of wri yeah thanks a lot uh, first of all having me here so yes, i did my bachelor's in architecture and that was in 2000 and then i worked for almost a year and then i realized i have to do something more and that's where somehow i got fascinated to transport planning and so i joined school of planning and architecture and i was the last batch of one and a half years masters program so okay. till then masters program was one and a half years and after i completed it became two years so uh, <laughs> compared to you guys i did i studied six month less and then i went into consulting uh, background i did work for a couple of consulting organizations mm-hmm. and then from 1 january 2010 i came into wri okay at that time it was called embark uh, the transport program uh, that was the name embark but now we have rebranded and everyone is known by the parent uh, organizations identity which is wri and so it's been more than 10 years uh, since i've been wri and i lead all the transport work which happens at wri india how was embark working what was the difference between embark and wri embark was a program of wri that okay. worked on transport mm-hmm. and we were like embark for almost Five six years in India, and then WRI decided that cities need more than just transport, and so from Embark, which is a transport program, mm-hmm. we now move to WRI Ross Center, which is a cities program. Okay. So transport is part of the cities program, but we also look at non-transport work like urban planning, something around air quality. Okay. So those kind of things we are looking at. Mm-hmm. So it is more than transport. and that's how the transition happened from embark to wri ross center so you diversified in many Absolutely. other uh, yeah yeah that's really great what according to you uh, is a good city planning i mean what role does transport play in a in a livability of city good city planning is to me what our historical cities look like the good ingredient to a good city planning means you need to have density which is what traditional indian towns had yeah. Mm-hmm. you need to have diversity which is mixed uses mm-hmm. we need to have people walking and cycling and there has to be some restriction on automobile and all these things inherently were there in our earlier towns now the problem happened was that once we started planning new towns we started looking at concepts from north america which is white roads all for automobiles segregated land uses low density sprawl development mm-hmm. which are not at all sustainable yeah mm-hmm. so to me a good city is a city you have mixed use high density and people walking and cycling yeah and you also mentioned restriction on motorization can we actually look onto it right now how can we start in this direction if you want to so i think if you look at in terms of just sheer numbers our cities are already have some inherent restriction on automobile use so look at delhi delhi has the highest car usage in the country and yet it is only 15% of all the trips which happen on cars 
Now the problem is that we are so fascinated by cars, we think everyone moves by car, which is not the case, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at 2011 census data, when we asked people on how do they commute, and these are all non-agricultural, these are primarily urban trips, car use was only 3%. About a one-third of Indians don't actually commute to work because they live in so close proximity to work that they don't commute. Yeah. And then another 25-30% walk to work. So, our cities are inherently very sustainable. The problem is, as we move forward, they are gradually becoming more and more unsustainable. And as you rightly said, the private automobiles increasing, distance are becoming longer, and people are stuck in traffic for so much uh, longer time. So, we have to look at applying car restriction because if everyone moves by car in a city, no one will move. Yeah, very well said. I mean, to restrict motorization of the automobile... What do you think a good or a bad road design is? What elements of mobility is good for sustainable road design? I think this is a very nice question. And the reason why I'm saying this is last week I was in Stockholm Mm -hmm. for the third inter-ministerial conference on road safety. Uh, Ministers from 80-odd countries came and our Honorable Minister, Mr. Gadkari, was also there. And at the end of it, there was a Stockholm declaration. Now, Stockholm Declaration had one very important aspect and that is, I think, we should, as planners, remind ourselves. The Declaration said, city streets, which have conflict movements, should be designed and enforced for speed not more than 30 kilometers per hour. Which means, predominant city streets, barring few arterials, are to be not only designed, but enforced for a speed which is less than 30. And the reason why they came with the speed of 30 is that if a car hits a pedestrian at 30 kilometers per hour, the chances of survival are 90%. But for every kilometer increase in speed, the chances of survival reduce exponentially. And this is the fundamental shift that we have to do. So there is a highway and highway is meant to moving vehicles and you can have fast highways, 80, 90, 100 kilometers per hour. But city roads should not be designed like highway because city roads are also used as pedestrian, by cyclists, by people who are using public transport and all other activities. And that is where, where we are mixing the two things and that is where disaster is happening. Yeah, talking about various uses, I keep on talking about equity. What I understand that a road plays an important role as it caters to many functions. It is not supposed to cater only to moving vehicles, but it is also supposed to cater to pedestrian, NMTs, and also other form of life that we see on a road. Two-third of the entire ROW is dedicated just to only moving vehicles. And whatever one-third or less than that remains is also being occupied by an activity which translates from moving vehicle, that is parking. Yeah. So, we are absolutely avoiding everything else just to move vehicles. And that brings me to the long-term effects. So, what do you think that this kind of strategy that we have adopted to plan our cities, what are the long-term effects of these designs on the social fabric and also the overall city fabric? And I think this has a huge consequence because if you look at the way we are designing, we are getting into a vicious cycle. So, when you design everything for cars, Eventually, nothing will exist on road except cars. Obviously, yeah. Now, if nothing will exist on cars, people, as they get income, they will move from cycle to motorcycle, motorcycle to small car, and then to big car. 
Now, as the number of vehicles increases, there will not be enough road to accommodate this vehicle. So what you will do, you will create more roads. So either you will expand roads or you will create new roads. The new roads will create new supply for traffic. So they will induce demand. And when they will induce demand, they will again get choked. So what you will do, you will create more roads. So you get into a vicious cycle of supplying roads where what you are doing is by supplying more roads, you are inviting more traffic. And therefore the impacts are air quality, 17 over 20 worst cities in terms of air quality we have in India and transport is the predominant uh, contribute for the particulate matter emission. So that is one. We are the largest killer in terms of road traffic deaths in the world. We only have 2% of global motor vehicle, but we kill more than 11% people worldwide. We also have huge public health <coughs> issue because people are not uh, walking, cycling. They are suffering from all kinds of diseases, which are lifestyle diseases. Mm -hmm. And then there is so in much inequality because not everyone can afford car. So we are getting into a trap and unless we do something substantively different for transport planning. Unfortunately, we are getting locked in into this trap of a vicious cycle. Yeah, we can also add to that crimes, Absolutely. which are road related. So, uh, talking about the automobile uh, dependency cycle, what role do you see of civic agencies in coming out of that cycle? So, one thing is we have to realize that no matter how much road we supply, we cannot do away with congestion. Mm -hmm. Building more roads to solve congestion, to me is like fighting obesity by just expanding your waist size. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it won't happen. It has never happened in any part of the world. It will never happen in India. So cities have to get over this notion that if I build two more flyovers, the congestion will go away. Mm -hmm. No. It will come back. In fact, it will take congestion to the next level. Next level. Yeah. Right? So, we have to first understand that this will not work. What will work is a street which invites people to safely walk, safely cycle, safely use transit. Mm -hmm. And that is where we have to look at the role of automobiles. I think we have to move from personal mobility to shared mobility. We have to look at the way we plan street. We have to look at the way we approach parking because right now if you look at parking is free. Yes. And I'm surprised that people buy cars and then they expect government to supply parking. parking. It's similar to I buying an air conditioner and asking government to give me a house. Everyone will laugh if I put this question. But everyone thinks it's a government duty to provide parking. But cars are private sector. A private sector is manufacturing it and a private sector is consuming it. Why will public sector provide storage facility? So I think we have to relook at the parking uh, approach in our city and only then we can look at how do we make the cities more sustainable. What are the present national and state level mechanism to ensure that we allocate uh, road space in an equitable manner or you think there is a gap which has to be filled? I think the National Urban Transport Policy of 2006, when it came, mm -hmm. it was probably one of the most progressive documents on the policy front because the front and center of the policy was 
सिटीज हैव टू मूव पीपल एंड नॉट व्हीकल विच वॉज अ ग्रेट स्टेटमेंट हाउ एवर दैट द सेम पॉलिसी हैज नॉट ट्रांसलेटेड इन टू एक्शन सो अर्लियर वन जे एन यू आर एम वॉज देयर सिटीज वुड पुट अप प्रोजेक्ट इन लाइन विथ नेशनल अर्बन ट्रांसपोर्ट पॉलिसी बट देयर ओन मनी वॉज नॉट पुट टू यूज फॉर नेशनल अर्बन ट्रांसपोर्ट पॉलिसी सो वन इज आई थिंक सो एट अ नेशनल लेवल वी नीड टू हैव सम काइंड ऑफ मैकेनिज्म where cities should start reporting on the negative impacts of bad transport system mm-hmm. so for example air pollution is one uh, equity as you mentioned has to be brought in i said road safety is another if we have some dashboard saying that how our cities performing mm-hmm. on these multiple fronts then we can start pulling cities saying that look why are you not doing it so right now there is one central uh, mission, uh, program called smart cities mission uh, where transport is a part of it but not in a very holistic manner but the ministry of road transport and highways is now in the process of coming up with a national transport plan i think that will be a great opportunity to look at transport in a holistic manner not only urban transport but also intercity and inter uh, the regional transport as well can you describe it further can you give us some more detail what is it yeah. and how is it uh, how is it started and what are the timelines the duration so when last year when the ministry of road transport and highway came up with the motor vehicles amendment act which was passed by the parliament and it has series of things on transport reforms one of the big reforms that the act had was that we need a national transport plan and the reason why this was propagated was cities are doing their own stuff states are doing their own stuff and central ministries are doing their own stuff there is no coordinated action so when it's you about coordinated action it also includes how do you so for example if you look at the passenger transport or 80% passenger moves on road 20% on rail what we are seeing is, and the same is case with the freight probably 90% is freight and 10% is road but we see there certain benefits of rail over road why are these benefits not being catered because agencies are doing things differently and there is no coordinated mechanism so the idea was if we have a national transport plan the national transport plan will decide on direction so for example there is a big conversation going on electric mobility yes no one knows how to go about electric mobility because some agencies are saying it is good some is saying this is bad the national transport plan hopefully will pull the right framework in place so that individual departments and agencies can go ahead and plan as per the plan so that's the thinking the conversation has just started in the ministry of road transport and highway and i'm sure very soon we will come up with some the first set of drafts mm-hmm. uh, for the country to look at and for us to comment okay. so that the country can move in the right direction right as of now it seems that most of our planning is still very car oriented is it looking forward to change that and how is it going to do that so we will come to know once we see the draft but i hope the national transport plan does not make a fundamental mistake with what transportation is supposed to do and i have been saying that people don't move just for the sake of movement hmm. people move because they want to access opportunities <coughs> yes 
Now, that opportunity could be economic opportunity, it could be non-economic opportunity. Now, how do we increase their access is what the good transport should do. And a lot of times, the action for increasing access may not be with transport, but maybe with land use planning. Exactly. So, for example, we're sitting in Delhi, right? Every morning, thousand people from Dwarka move to Gurugama for work. And I've been thinking, why can't Dwarka have also have commercial spaces? A city, a sub-city exactly. that we have planned for a million population is almost residential. And everyone either moves to Gurgaon or to Central Park, Cent- uh, not place for work. So, if you want to increase access to jobs, for example, in Dwarka, the action would have been create employment center in Dwarka. So, that is what a good transport plan should do, is one, to provide access, but also to reduce the negative externalities. So, how can I have a transport plan which emits less greenhouse gas? How can I have a transport which saves lives? How can I have a transport which is equitable for all? I think once we get these fundamental principles in place, the details can be worked out. But right now, the way I see, a lot of these fundamental principles are not in place. And that's why you see this so much disconnect in our cities. So, talking about NMT and pedestrianization across India, what has been your experience so far? I think I have seen something of a change in the last few years. Okay. So, some of us were involved in an urban movement called Rahagri Day. And I know many of us would be aware. But this was in 2013 when some of us came together in Gurgaon. And that time, when we asked the same question to public agencies saying, it, but why don't we plan for walking and cycling? The response that we got from some of these public agencies was, but no one walks and cycle. I mean, it's a third grade option. Mm-hmm. Gurgaon is a millennium city. Mm. We will do flying cars. You know, those are the responses yeah. that we got. But when we give the example saying that, look, the reason why people don't walk and cycle in India is not because it is uh, they have higher income or we have bad weather, but because it inherently it is very unsafe to walk and cycle. But somehow these agencies were not agreeing to this concept. And they would get all kinds of excuse like, but it is so hot or it is so cold, or those kinds of things. Yeah. So we said, let's flip the question. And we said, what if we gave safe environment? What if we gave vibrant environment? Will people come on to streets or not? Irrespective of gender, irrespective of income, irrespective of where they live. So that's how we created uh, this movement called Rahagiri Day, which was started in Gurgaon in November 2013 with the sole idea, give safe streets and you will see people on streets. And that road, which had 90% car usage for that five, six hours on a Sunday was full with people because for the first time people realized a concept which is not new to India, but in a way it is coming back again, is that streets are public spaces. And as a public space, the use will differ from the time of the day 
the day of the week the week of the month and month of the year in fact this is what used to happen earlier in our streets and they were saying in hindi ki jo ghar mein nahi hota hai wo sadak pe hota hai which basically means streets are public spaces yeah, yeah. and now if you go to europe you have summer streets you have all kinds of streets times square has been pedestrianized and people are sitting there and drinking coffee why because it's a public space and we have to look at the approach of looking at city streets at public spaces even even today we have sarafa in indore yeah. we have simla market in ahmedabad so all those cities which are very old with heritage still preserved that same street is being used for high end jewelry shops and then it converts to a eatery uh, street so that is a very productive arrangement and it also gives some character to the city absolutely and as far as rahgiri is concerned i i think rahgiri brought an empty and pedestrianization into the main frame it proved that pedestrians is also one mode it was it wasn't even considered a mode till then now suddenly it is not limited to that 1.5 meter of footpath and we have seen this conversation change so before rahgiri when we used to go to agencies saying that walking and cycling the question was why now we go they say tell me how do we do it yes so that conversation changes happened because of the sustained campaign every sunday walking cycling walking cycling walking cycling and now you are seeing a conversation change what are your uh, experiences from cities outside of india example of complete urban transformations i think this is what we have seen so for example everyone talks about netherlands as a biking heaven for the country yes. uh, for the world and i was there last week and i took a ride with one of the architects over there and it's a fascinating place you can cycle and i asked them is was this same paradise till 15 20 30 years ago and he said no in fact he said in 70s amsterdam was what delhi is right now hmm. street stuck with traffic and i said but what happened I said at that time the city plans realized there is not enough road space to accommodate cars, and so they gradually started from providing parking to removing parking. They started from no dedicated infrastructure to cycling to creating more and more infrastructure to cycling. They created went from 1.5 meter to 2.5, 3.5, even 4 meters of walking space, a systematic attempt. to reduce what is there for cars versus what is there for people which is walking and cycling and today when we go to amsterdam we say wow but it took a concrete decision by the administrative class of the city by the political class of city to make amsterdam what it is right now so it is possible provided we do the right things and everybody has to be on board Absolutely. like it cannot be done by one agency they the society as a whole have to decide that we have to move in this direction absolutely yeah when people call out for transport planners they are expecting more of a solution which might increase the speed in fact when i studied in school of planning and architecture and and is not to any way kind of go against school of planning and architecture but the traffic engineering that we studied was always v by c that you count the volume on road you calculate the capacity if volume is more than capacity you expand the road yes. we never question but how can you reduce the volume on road yes. that is what we have to get into planning 
saying that you just cannot keep on expanding capacity to satisfy V by C. You also have to think of reducing the volume itself so that you don't have to increase capacity and provide movement. I think that's the fundamental shift we have to take. Yeah, I guess that fundamental shift is also happening in the education itself. Yeah. Every day new example is set up and even our institutes are learning from them. Now we have a new entrant in the transport planning sector which is the electric mobility. Electric mobility has been there for quite a long time but right now the government's push with FAME 1 and FAME 2 now we understand the tailpipe emissions are going to go down. How are we producing our electricity? That is also a question. So what is your take on electric mobility? How do you think it is going to affect our overall scenario of transport? So let us say tomorrow we convert all the vehicles in Delhi to electric. What will be the impact? There will be drop in tailpipe emission. The air quality might get better. In Delhi. In Delhi. But we will be still stuck in traffic. The congestion would be clean congestion. Yes. The road traffic accident will be electric accident. <laughs> Nothing yeah. much will change. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we should not look at electric mobility. Yes. I think electric mobility for us is a great opportunity to reimagine the city mobility. And I'll tell you why. One electric mobility promises some new form factors. So for example, the there's a big revolution in US cities and Europe on small scooters which are coming in as a first and last mile that can be used it. Second, electric vehicles have low operating cost. So then can we increase our tra public transport supply using electric vehicles? Because it has a low operating cost. Mm -hmm. That can be done. Can we look at charging infrastructure as a form of reimagining the city planning? Because earlier the petrol pumps did do mm -hmm. automobile. Mm -hmm. If the same thing we do with electric mobility, then there's no difference. But can we look at electric uh, charging infrastructure to reimagine the city planning? Third, so these electric vehicles can be monitored real-time basis. Can we do more connected vehicles? Can we do more shared vehicles? I think that to us is a big opportunity. Just replacing the fleet with electric, I don't think will solve the purpose. We have to be very clever in leveraging the electric vehicle to our liking which is more of shared mobility, more of connected mobility, more of on-demand mobility. That is an opportunity for us with electric mobility. I hope that happens. Yeah. So, uh, talking about accidents and road safety, so what are the, your views on the current state of road safety in India? I mean, I'll be slightly candid. And I'll say that the reason why we have such a high crash rate in India is we have still not understood the science of road safety. And the reason I say this is if you look at any government statistics, 80%, 85% road traffic deaths are accounted for rash and negligent driving. Overspeeding, yeah. Overspeeding. Which typically means human error. And I've been asking this question for last 18 years. Why we as an Indians do so much of human error? So when I did my, my master's in SPA, my first assignment, consulting assignment was to work on national road safety policy. That time, our road traffic deaths were about 70, 75,000 a year. Till the last year, we have doubled from 75 to 1,50,000. 1.5, yeah. 
And the reason why I say that this is wrong is that if you look at the way data is collected, it is always the driver of bigger vehicle which is put at fault. Because road traffic crash is a medical legal case, which means it's a crime. Now, if it's a crime, then there has to be a criminal. Now, the criminal cannot be a pothole. It cannot be a tree. It cannot be the lamppost. It cannot be a small ditch. The criminal has to have a human face. And the easiest way to put a human face is to put the driver of a bigger vehicle. Now, what it does is that it distorts the data collection, the data altogether. So, if I am the person who is going to use data for decision making, and if I say human beings at, at fault, I will try to educate that human being. So road safety, we see a lot of education work, painting competition, drawing competition, all kinds of essay writing, because everyone is trying to educate that per person and it is not working. So we have to understand that road safety is a science and the science involves huge amount of road design and huge amount of enforcement. If we design unsafe roads, we will see unsafe incidents. incidents. We have to understand the importance of engineering. We are still not understanding and that is why I think we have such an increased number of road traffic crashes. Because we have to understand that it's the human being, the vehicle and the environment. We have to look at the three things together. If we don't do, we will not be able to do much. I saw the recent MORTH data. The drunk driving and the use of cell phone while driving. Both these causes were indicated to be having contributed to less than 6% of total traffic yep. accidents. 60% of traffic accidents were attributed to overspeeding. All our awareness efforts Absolutely. are targeted towards drunk 6%. driving and uh, cell phone users. So what do you think? What are we currently doing on this data collection methodology? So we started some work uh, in Haryana called Haryana Vision Zero. That is more of a scientific way to look at road traffic crashes. So the way we structured this program is that we have one road safety associate in each district. Mm -hmm. And one of the prime work of this associate is to do scientific data collection. So every fatal crash uh, that happens in the district and he comes to know, the associate does a scientific investigation of this crash to find what are the contributing factors. And a lot of times we have seen the infrastructure design is wrong. So once we find these spots, we then work on infrastructure improvement and the spots are rectified. And then we do a before and after evaluation to see how it is working. In last one year, we have seen a 5% decline in road traffic deaths in Haryana as against to other states which have seen a sharp increase. Uh, before that, we, have, we had done a pilot program for 10 districts those 10 districts also saw a 5% decline. So we are seeing some great uh, aspects happening. But the reason why we are seeing some positive impacts is because, because we are looking at the three things together. The vehicle, the human being and the infrastructure. like to add over here. At Workos, we started one exercise wherein we started mapping the black spot yeah. on uh, Google Earth. And we were thinking of sharing that data with uh, Google so that they can embed this information in Google Maps. So while you are driving, your Google Maps can inform you that there is a potential hazard ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. But we couldn't complete this exercise because we came to understand that black spot identification itself, that the methodology of black spot identification is very crude. 
so that might not be a real exercise to do it the data is not very good as in sense to to be put up on google maps so we have stopped that said but when you tell about the haryana vision zero what we'll try to do we'll, we'll look into that data and we'll we'll see if, that if we can continue our exercise yeah. based on the data that has been collected through haryana vision zero no, absolutely and i think we need more scientific approach to the road safety conversation yeah only yeah. then we'll be able to solve this otherwise we are doing too much of education without any tangible impact at times media has this tilts towards the populist viewpoint i mean opposing helmets and recently there was a uh, updation tra- motor vehicle act for uh, traffic violations so what has been your experience working with them we have had some good experience working with media and i think what we have realized is uh, and we always blame media for misreporting but we don't understand that the people who come in media as reporters are not formally trained as transport planner or traffic engineers they also need to be sensitized exactly. and once we sensitize them we see a much better reporting so i think we as a fraternity in a transportation uh, this thing we also need to make effort to educate media to educate the beat reporters through data and then you will see a much more better reporting happening and that's how what our experience has been for last many years you have been on panel of many media houses and you are also visiting faculty in spa delhi during your tenure with these agencies what changes have you seen i think i have been a visiting faculty at school of planning and architecture for many years i have seen students are much more receptive to ideas uh, i have had some tough conversation with the faculty though but but i think we have seen students accepting and more than that student challenging ideas hmm. which was not the case in our times hmm. we were told that a faculty should not question the faculty and that's where i think we made a lot of mistakes because unless you question you will not be able to learn so i think net new new people which i am seeing are questioning which i think is a very welcome step i also interacted with media in fact many couple of years back i said if we have to mainstream this conversation we have to talk about it in mainstream media because a lot of time the conversation happens with people who are already converted mm-hmm. and that's where i started writing about these topics in mainstream media because i wanted people to understand these topics and so i write in hindustan times i write in toi hindu in many other places because we have to take this to a mass level only then you will see a substantive change happening and i think that more and more people should do it because one amit bhat will not change the conversation we need many more people unfortunately in our curriculum we are not taught how how to write about these things how do you write an article how do you write an opinion piece how do you write a blog we were never taught but we have to course correct it we have to empower each and every student at sept or spa on how to write if he is able to do it a lot of problem would be solved believe me what would you like to advise to people who are making implementing policies and then the user so for people who are in the field whether it is policy research or implementing my advice is long time back what michael bloomberg the former mayor of new york said that in god we trust everyone else bring data so please have data based decision making a lot of decision that we do is based on perception hmm. Hmm. which is completely wrong 
people who are academics world also mentor and guide based on perception which is absolutely wrong we are professionals bring data analyze data and act on it i think we will make much more better decisions than the user user i think question because technicalities users may not understand but once he starts questioning the basics you will see a much more better decisions being made yeah a right question why am i getting yes. parking instead of park absolutely would lead to so many changes So that was great talking to you sir and thank you again thank you so, so much, much for you. coming on this podcast and it has been honor thank you so Welcome much welcome wish you all the very best thank you sir thank you it was great talking to mr amit bhat we thank him for coming on our podcast and sharing his experiences we discussed how our cities were inherently resilient and people centric and how we got trapped in a vicious cycle by opting for segregated land use planning we discussed how rahgiri showed us the way to move people instead of vehicles now while wri is doing great work in sensitizing governments to promote sustainable ways of commuting and workos continues to support wri in its endeavors on a non profit basis we urge all our listeners to take time and think about the pointlessness of the morning hour rush the race to beat the jam and all that reach consider this a personal note from workos every year 150000 indians are killed in road crashes do the math it's about 17 deaths per hour in india alone we alone account for 11% of traffic related deaths across the world and if we compare data from previous years the probability of surviving a road crash is decreasing agencies in the business of road safety will continue to make our roads safer but remember your safety is majorly in your hands the way you have shown restraint in these difficult times and have practiced social distancing try to put a lighter foot on the pedal when the lockdown is over be safe live a full and happy life and avoid being part of the road accident statistics it's not a pleasant place to be with this we conclude the third episode of the transportation podcast by workos Your host Amit Singh Baghel and Javed Hasan will be back shortly with another interesting and informative episode. Till then, keep walking.